This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast, which focuses on playing Warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game, brought to you by Frontline Gaming, your every stop shop for all 40k needs. I'm your host, Petey Pob, and with me I have Mr. Jeff in Control Robinson. Yo, yo, yo. And the man, the salty dog myth, the legend, Reese Robbins. Ahoy, mateys. Arrgh. Wow. <laughs> uh, so, uh, we have a lot of information to give to you guys, and a finite amount of time to give it to you guys, so we're just going to jump right into it. The topic of today's episode is going to be mono-faction armies, and how you they can compete at a higher level at tournaments. Uh, we're, we're not going to give you guys the secret sauce to win with mono-faction single-index orcs and beat Nick Natavati at Nova, but we're going to help you guys hopefully get to 4 and 2 uh, with your single faction armies at tournaments. And I'm an Imperial Suit player. I'm just going to become 100% frank. So that's why I brought Reese on. Reese has kind of made his name playing off the wall single faction armies um, all the way since, you know, 5th edition w- with his Foot Dar. Uh, and Jeff, of course, you, as long as I've met Jeff, he's always run single faction armies with the exception of the, the ad mech list that he ran in 7th edition um, and your custodians to an extent. Though you have kind of gone back to a more custodes fool list, with the with the exception of like 400 points of guard and assassins, I think yeah. maybe. I usually run one assassin these days, but at most three. Right. So so you, and not 400 points of guard. It's 180 usually. Oh, oh so 100 180 points. So, but they they are by far experts in. Or they are more experts than I am uh, at running single faction codexes. And doing wall tournaments. Um, so, before we begin, Reese, uh, I, I know I talked about it briefly, but why don't you enlighten everyone on your history of uh, running these kind of armies in your in your lists, especially you know, in Eighth Edition when you you did not only did well with your Corn Codex, but you also did pretty well at Nova with a Space Marine Codex as well. Yeah. So, um, kind of a, a brief history of of my history uh, allow myself to introduce myself but uh, a brief rundown of kind of my history and organized play i've been playing the game for ever over 20 years which makes me feel really old but it's also true and um, i started out as a really fluff player i got into the tournament scene in high school and um, i really didn't dive in until after college and then i started playing like hardcore hammer lists like like i guess kind of quote unquote net lists 
Um, I would put my own personal spin on them, but they were more or less, you, you looked at my list and you knew what it was. Um, and I did really well with them. I started winning quite a bit of events. And then I sort of took the next step to kind of creating my own list from the ground up. And um, I, I had so much more fun doing that, even if I wasn't um, winning like every single game I played, the satisfaction I got from taking a list with units that other people might think were bad or trying to find the combos, trying to find the ways to make um, a list work when other people might dismiss it was like times 10 more satisfi uh, satisfying to me than playing a list that was the same or similar to, to a lot of other people's um, and, and winning uh so that's kind of where I'm still at. I just take so much enjoyment out of trying to find a way to make things work and then going to a tournament and performing well with it um, than I would otherwise that I've just never really gone back. So that's that's kind of where I'm at uh, these days. And recently, I went to the Nova Open with pure Space Marines, which a lot of people would tell you are, are bad or they're terrible. They're garbage as the internet um likes to quantify things as either being broken or garbage. And I made the top bracket. That was my goal was to make bracket one. Again, I did it last year also with pure Marines. And um, the month before that, I took a, a almost entirely corn army. I did have a knight, um, but he's a corn knight in my heart. And uh, I, I went four and one in the game I lost. I lost because I timed out with chess clocks. Um, I think I was in a really good position to win that game. So uh, it, it can be done. It, it can be done. You, you can go to a competitive environment and win with mono faction armies. And and I actually think the majority of people who attend tournaments kind of uh, echo your sentiment on the what they want to run, what they want to run, and they kind of don't want to run the netlist. I feel like that's the majority of all tournament players. Uh, definitely the people I talk to, you, you get more list requests for how, how do I make this Dark Angels list good or how do I make this Orc list good instead of, you know... Like how do I make how do I win with this netlist, PD Pob, um, and and it it's and I'm glad that you I have you and Jeff on, um, because I you know if you look at if you look at like Don Houston's list at the PAO, I, I would also say that that's kind of like an off meta single faction. He might have had like a a chaos detachment, um, but in general it was like it was basically pure Death Guard, um, and he he performed really well at the BAO, um, and then of course you had success with the corn list, and then there was success with the Space Marine list. Uh, what what do you think is the this is to both of you guys? What do you guys think is kind of the the key elements between all those lists that a single faction list needs to succeed? Um, uh, Jeff, you want to field this one, or you want me to uh, take it? I think we both can, Reese. You and I can tag team this one at the same time. Ooh, ooh, ooh I like it. It's been a dream of mine for a long time to do that—to look across something and just see your sweaty brow. Um. But I think I think one of the first things that when we talk about monofaction, because I can already hear it, like some people are Don Houston had a knight, he had chaos, demons, and he had death guard. So people are gonna be like, That's not monofaction at all, you son of a bitch. How dare mm. you? And it's like I think one of the first things you kinda have to address is it's a hobby and it's a game and you should just have fun. So if if like to you there's some kind of goal in very strictly being a single a single codex, then that's fun and that's cool. But to me, Eighth edition is really nice because there is no come the apocalypse allying or there's no kind of weird ally trees. Most things are pretty darn close, especially if you take like the majority of your points from one codex. And then if you're an Imperium player, but you're like, I really need a Colexus, 
I don't look at that and go, God damn cheesy suit player, I can't believe this this guy. It's like, no, it, they hired an assassin to help them out because, you know, psychics are really common in their area or whatever. Um, so that's my, like, pre-Custodes defensive rant, I guess, is <laughs> what I would tell you. Uh, I even lost track of what your question is. So, Reese, you can take the first tag team on this, but I just, <laughs> before we get into Custodes, I want to talk about that a little bit. All right, sweaty, sweaty brow. Too long holding the gaze uh, opinion right. inbound, Jeff. I like it. I'm glad you broached that subject. It's long been a dream of mine as well. But um, for me, the, the trying to find a way to make a mono faction army work, and to Jeff's point about Dawn, Dawn had a Nurgle army with knights. So it wasn't pure mono faction, but whatever, right? Like it, it was a very unique list. The key, the, the for me, like so much of it is psychological. Like step one to playing a mono faction army or a weaker army, and I'm doing finger quotes, uh, air quotes there, is first of all, step one is believing that you can, right? So much of it, so much of what you see online with people reviewing lists or so much of what you see people bringing to events is like keeping up with the Joneses, like believing that if, you know, five other people are saying something that it must be true, uh, and then there, it could be true, but... That doesn't mean that your ideas don't have merit. So step one is believing that you can, right? And then when you cross that threshold of not listening to the negative feedback, I mean, not just sticking your head in the sand and not listening to constructive criticism, but not just discounting something like off the cuff, just because on your favorite Facebook group, everyone's parroting each other and saying that you can't do it. That's step one. Once you cross that threshold, you've already taken the biggest step. Step two is then to look for the combos, to look for the... Um, the strengths of the faction that you're looking to play and, and, and leveraging those, right? So an example, my uh, Space Marine army at Nova, I was like, Space Marines have a lot of weak units. They have a lot of underperforming units. I think the basic Space Marine is just not good enough for his points, right? But what do they do well? Well, they do a lot of things really well. They put out a lot of mortal wounds at long range that your opponent literally can't stop. They can shoot your opponent or punch your opponent in their phase. They can bring guys back to life. They get full reroll auras all over the place. They're really efficient. Um, you can take a lot of bodies, which is really good in the current meta. Uh, it's really good against things like the Knight Castlin, which doesn't kill that many infantry. Um, they have a lot of counters to the things that are prevalent in the game right now. They have ways to kill characters with full reroll uh, snipers, which I use a lot in my list. So you, you have to look for those strengths that they have and, and leverage those to the max in order to overcome any shortcomings that the faction may may have, right? And that may require you to make some compromises on the units that you take. Yeah. Um, and, and I think you can kind of, you can kind of, find the strengths in every codex. I think 8th edition has done a really good job, or GW has done a really good job in 8th edition of giving each codex kind of like their strengths and what they're good at. Uh, for example, Reese was talking about Frankie running a Space Wolves list uh, earlier and actually whooping Jason's butt. Uh, now it is Jason, so you have to take this with a grain of salt, but uh, Jason was running the Castellan list, or, or the list that, that you see, and, and Frankie was, was doing a number on him. Uh, if, if that's I don't know if, if that's 100% true, Reese. I, I, we didn't unfortunately finish the conversation. Um, but what was what was Frankie running, and, and was it a pure Space Wolves list as well? 
Yeah, so he was running pure space holes. Jason was running the, the quote unquote the list, like the list that swept Nova essentially. And um, the difference is that he's using Grey Knights instead of Blood Angels, which um, has its own strengths and weaknesses. And he's doing it because he likes the models. But um, you know, he didn't have the Smash Captains, but he had you know Grey Knight Grandmasters and, and uh, um, the armor plus some strikes, squads, deep striking, which are really effective. Uh, but what Frankie was running, and like one of the things that um, I think a lot of people are missing with Space Wolves, is that they are really, really well rounded. They have they have good shooting, they have good board control, they have good, really good melee. So Frankie was running a bunch of six man um, troop units, either Blood Claws or Grey Hunters, whatever your taste, uh, whatever your your preference is, with two sergeants in each unit, each with a power fist, in a Razorback, and it was a really cool combo. And this is just one of many that they have. He had six units of those in Razorbacks. He got first turn, bomb rushes up the table, um, pops smoke. His rune priest jumps out, pops the uh, plus one years or account as being in cover aura power. And then he uses the stratagem for an additional minus one to hit. So all the Razorbacks are now minus two to be hit with a two up armor save. Um, they're super resilient. And then he had long things out flanking that move onto the table, ignore any penalties to hit. They make themselves reroll wounds. They already reroll once to hit, so they're really, really efficient. Um, Jason blew up two Razorbacks between all of his shooting. It was greatly reduced, obviously, because minus two to hit. Next turn, Frankie charges him with, uh, you know, eight, nine units, and um, they each have two power fists. Which, with the Wolf and Stone, um, with the plus one to hit Warlord trade, as soon as that triggers, which obviously. You have your um, Warlord uh, swing first. He kills five models. It turns it on. Now each one of those little six-man units has uh, 10 Power Fist attacks hitting on threes, rerolling ones to hit and wound. So they just annihilate whatever they touch, and they're just a little, you know, 100-and-something point, you know, 120-point unit, uh, whatever it comes out to. And he just walked through uh, everything that Jason had. And if it wasn't for the castle, then it wouldn't have even been a game. So there, there's a ton of combos in there that if you just take the time and you remove the negativity from your perception and look for the positives, you will find them in any decks. Uh, just to piggyback off of what Reese said, because I think he made a couple of really great points. Um, I think you can, one of the first things is like believing that you can do it. And the only thing I'd add to that point would be having kind of a realistic expectations as well. There's a lot of people that have a really... They really don't like allies, and that's fine and good. So as long as you're making a list that you're really happy with and stuff like that, that's cool. But almost every example you'll hear, like Frankie's list, Reese's list, that kind of thing, and he went into this point as well, I just want to reinforce it, but like, don't think that single codex and also be competitive means you can take whatever you want and be successful. Um, that that just doesn't work in, in competitive Warhammer anyways, right? Like if you're playing in your garage with your friends, then go for it, and that's that's really cool. But the idea that every single unit can be taken and you'll be successful and go four and two at a major GT um, is probably not likely. But if you're just a, a big fluff bunny and you've got like a blood angel tattoo across your inner thigh and you know <laughs> you do vampire fanfic and stuff like that, then um, you can take blood angels and be successful. It's just there's certain things they're strong and good at, right? Like, um, and, and you kind of have to build lists around that, and then you can supplement it with other stuff too. And I think that's a really important thing to address. Like for me as a Custodes player in particular, but also like I'm a Terranids player, so it's very easy for me to do solo codex, right? Because if I didn't, we'd eat our friends, and that's not really fun. Um, or Gene Serpult, I guess, but I don't really do that as much myself. So the codex kind of forces me to do that, and they're built around that. And here comes that train. Hmm.
train of logic. Um, but then with like custodies, I, I've never felt shame. Like people, whenever they see like custodial list, it's really well tournament. And they're like, but there's 185 points of guard in that. Like I never look at that and go, oh god, I feel ashamed. I'm really sorry. Um, they're complemented really well by those almost 30 bodies and five more command points and the, of course, the dreaded command point farm. Um, and the hope is, as the game goes on, I think Pablo's okay. He might have fallen down some stairs or something like that. <laughs> um, but the hope is, as the game goes on, it gets more balanced around and rewarding individual codexes. But, again, this is a long way of just saying what reset, which is just stick to what's strong in your codex if, if you're going to take it to a competition and then be happy with that. Uh, and when you're not allying, there are, there's going to be some weaknesses, and you kind of have to just be okay with that as well. Uh, for, for a lot of codecs, not for everything, by the way. There's obviously some codecs that by themselves are just fantastic. Uh, and and to kind of piggyback off of Jeff's piggyback to create a, a trifecta of piggybacks, um, if, you, if you are one of those guys, like let's say you're, you, you like Blightlord Terminators, you're like Don Houston is your champion. You, you pray to him every night before you go to bed. Um, and along with your army of Blightlord Terminators, uh, there are there are certain units that you can make work. It's not it's not all doom and gloom. Uh, for example, if you're an orc player and you really like Mega Knobs, guy named Charles Craig made the second pod. Went four and one day one at Nova, and made the second pod with orcs. And he had nine Mega Knobs in his list, in his orc list, and then just two big units of Storm Boys and a bunch of Mech Guns and the characters that you you'd expect to see out of a competitive orc list. Uh, it's it, it, like like we're always going to reiterate on chapter tactics being good at 40k always comes with practice 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 uh if you're determined like like uh, reese is an anomaly reese can just play a list like three times and like okay take it to a gt and 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 lose to the best player at the gt but crush everyone else that's what reese does but reese also has played a lot of 40k period Compared to everyone else, so he's kind of got that veteran experience where he's always gonna he's always gonna be wily and he's always gonna know what's going on, uh, even if he doesn't. That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but uh, the uh, you want you want to make sure you you want to kind of do what Jeff says. You want to pick you want to pick the most competitive things you can in the faction, uh, whether whether it's space wolves, you know, um, what's what's a faction that people complain about that no one tau. Tower, a faction I, I constantly hear people gripe about on both sides. Like some people say Tower two OP, and other people say that Tower completely unplayable tournaments. Um, I think the medium there is is probably some combination of Tiger Shark, Forge World bombers, and and whatever you want to bring. Um, but basically, you, you want to go into these lists and you want to look at the strengths what GW is giving you. Uh, and, and there there's a thing in Magic. There's uh when you when standard when a new block comes out. Uh, Wizards is trying to push specific archetypes on you, like like maybe there's like a block where tribal is a big thing, and so that's kind of the the thing that people run in standard. Even if that even if they're like control players, they don't necessarily fit their their play style. Uh, I think I think as a codex, I think you have to realize you have to see what GW is pushing on you. And I know that this is an unpopular opinion. Like I get that you guys wanna you wanna run your your crew in your tau list, so you wanna run like thousands of crew. Like I get that. Um, but you definitely, for competitive, from a competitive sense, you definitely want to look at what GW is pushing, and run that, right? So if if GW is pushing shooting and marker light spam and tau, you run that. If GW is pushing elite durable units in your custodians codex, you got to run those. Um, but you don't want to go too elite. You don't want to run like ten Alaris custodians in your list. Um, but you know, look at what GW is pushing. Like look at the best stuff they have to provide. Uh, and 
another thing I wanted to say before I guess I jump off this this piggyback train um, is codexes codexes tend to or um, there's it's not all doom and gloom for single faction codexes like look at like Dark Eldar for example Dark Eldar are an army that have potential to to be soupy. Uh, but if you look at like what Scarry is doing from Scardcast, he he's number three in the ITC right now, and he pretty much strictly runs pure Dark Eldar. He runs really weird off the wall Dark Eldar lists, and it's pure faction. Obviously, Dark Eldar are OP. I get it, um, but single faction lists, you know, can happen. So for you Zeno's players saying like, oh, I, I GW is always going to favor Imperium and Chaos, like, that might be true. Um, but at the same time, you know, we don't have a lot of players that play those factions that that really try as well no. yeah it's just a, a long no, winded you, you made some good points and like, like you were saying it, there's so many people that drink the kool-aid and think it's not possible that it becomes reality right like you know there, there's a lot of the, the people that are very focused on competition and, and performing at their best um they want to bring the sharpest knife they can to the knife fight and uh, if the perception is that you know whatever the case may be uh, Army X is going to give them their best shot, then then that 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 becomes a uh, self fulfilling prophecy, right? Then everybody brings it. Then of course it does well when a bunch of the best players are bringing it, and then very few of the best players or highly skilled players are bringing the the what is perceived to be the dullest knife in the in the drawer. Then it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy in that way also, right? Um, and then you have these anomalies where everyone like perks up their ears, like Scarry is playing essentially pure Dark Eldar. He's number three, or Don Huson wins the BAO with a really offbeat list. And that's like so many more cool points, right? Because you've just bucked the um, prevailing wisdom or, you know, the conventional wisdom. And it's proven that everything that everybody was saying was not entirely correct. So it really just takes doing it and like getting out there and, and getting the repetitions. And to your other point, Pablo, um, if you do have a unit that you really want to play, like Alarius Custodians or Alarius Custodians, or whatever the heck they're called, um, you just have, you love the models, you love the backstory, you want to make them work, you can, right? But like, you just got to build your list around it, like Dawn did with his um, his Blightlord Terminators, right? Like, that was the anvil he put right in your face. You absolutely couldn't ignore it, and it left the rest of his army free to do what they wanted. So, um, if you love Terminators and you want to play 10 Cataphracty Terminators, like, you can make it work if you build a list around the idea of leveraging whatever their greatest strength is. And then you'll totally catch people off guard because they won't know what to do. They won't know how to counter it. Yeah, Don didn't just run Blightlord Terminators and just like run around doing whatever he wanted. He very (laughs) specifically kept them in the role of deep striking usually a little bit later um, and then backfield threat. And they're just so darn durable that your opponent would have to designate so much forces to dealing with them that they just kind of always at least did that, if not did a lot more. And that's a really cool way to use them. And to me, that's that's the more salient point with single codex discussion anyways, because I really, like, as we talk about this, I think about a lot of armies that are totally fine single codex. Like, there's very few that aren't. Like, at the mega top tier, there's lists, there's, like, specifically lists as opposed to codexes, I would even say, that are good with other allies, right? Like, obviously, we just got done with Nova, where there's Knights, Blood Angels, and Guard as the kind of triple-headed monster of good. And I don't think a single codex Blood Angel, single codex Knight, or single codex Guard list is necessarily better than that. But I do think of all those codexes, you can still make a very competitive list, and if you play it well and you play to its strengths... 
you could beat that list or beat other lists like it, right? Like, I wouldn't sit here and tell you it's the it's the number one most competitive thing you can do. And I think that's what's relevant in the discussion on playing single codex. It's not if anyone sits there and tries and tells you that this is the best way to play Warhammer. That should already be a little bit of a red flag, because the best way to play Warhammer is however the hell you want to play Warhammer and have the most fun doing it. So make sure and just kind of keep those expectations there. And if you are, like, you know, just a giant fluff bunny, or for whatever reason you just really don't like allies, that's fine. But um, play to the strengths of the codex that you have is, I guess, the, the main point to reiterate. Yeah. So, so going back to the original question, um, before we kind of went off on this really good tangent, to be fair, uh, what what do you think the good codexes? Basically, what are some of the tools that good codexes need in general to compete at a four and two level at a at a an open at like like an open event? Um, uh, one thing that springs to mind that that just from looking at the last two is I, I think you need a really large, tough, durable unit. Like if you look at Charles Orkless, he had the nine mega knobs. If you look at uh, Reese's list, he had sixty blood letters and forty cultists put in your face, um, which is very hard and very durable to chew through. Uh, obviously, Don Houston has Blightguard Terminators. Um, Custodes kind of do that on their own with with your three troop choices that you get that are pretty much gonna stick throughout the whole game wherever you put them um <clears throat> so i kind of see that that durability kind of play taking the play but is that that that's just a general thing that i can think of but what are some other things that you guys can think of that maybe um let single codexes shine or, or do well well there's the concept of durability but i feel like there's more there's the nice thing about warhammer 40k and eighth edition right now is there's actually quite a few different styles that, that get the job done and are pretty good. Like, durability is certainly a nice thing, but I think of a lot of lists where they just put so many gosh darn bodies on the table that it's just really hard for certain lists to get over that. And then they hold objectives really well, but then you kind of have to know your local meta as well in terms of um, what kind of tournament they play, what kind of mission set. Uh, for some of those mission sets, it doesn't make sense to just sit on objectives because that doesn't score you very much. But durability is nice. A lot of bodies is nice. Um... Hard hitting is definitely a thing. And then efficiency is another kind of a big word. There's there's certain codexes that just have these units where it's like, you only spend this much, and it does all these other things for command points or for psychic buffs. Um, and those are nice places to go to as well to shore up otherwise weaker units or something like that, you know? Um, there's all kinds of examples of that. But I guess what I would just say is try and escape from the idea that you have to have this one thing in your list, otherwise it won't do well. There's just general concepts that if you don't have any of them, then that's a little bit interesting, right? Like, there are some stinker units in every codex, and if you just like, well, I, I you know what? F Furies are my favorite unit in the Demon Codex. I don't care what anybody says. Like, well, you know, we're going to have a tough time, I guess, but... Um, yeah, yeah. I, I agree, uh, but durability takes a lot of different um, flavors. Like, it doesn't just have to be one big tough unit. Uh, MSU lists are durable because they have redundancy, um, basically you need to be able to take a punch. If your whole list revolves around one flimsy unit, then you're, 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 unless you're just a master of, of movement, you're going to get toasted. Um, like my space Marine army had, uh, three devastator squads. Each one, their purpose was the exact same to shoot mortal wounds down the table. Right. And you could kill one, you could kill two, but I could still do my trick. Um, you know, I had three units of scout bikers because each one of those can kill a shit ton of light infantry. Three units of sniper scouts. Um, you know, almost every unit I took in multiples in multiple small units 
because that way I could lose one here or there and it wasn't the end of the world. Um, and you want to think about that in your list. You need to be able to go first or second. Uh, and to your previous point too, Pablo, um, about making units work. Like I was in my corn army, I was using Scarbrand and uh, uh, tons of durability because I have a, just a ton of the same unit of a bunch of bloodletter units, a bunch of cultist units. Um, and then I had Scarbrand who was widely considered to be crappy, but he had one purpose and that was to buff my unit on the turn they dropped down and charged. If he lived past that, huzzah. If not, oh well, he still did his job. So you got to look for ways to make, uh, to keep the, the, the core functionality of your list in play and then to maximize it on the turn that you need it the most uh, by, by leveraging those units that have those, you know, force multiplication effects. Yeah. And, and that's one thing I've always found true and just in general in, in 40 K is um, if you, if you have a particularly bad unit uh, that, that you want to perform well, um, they almost always perform better later on in the game. If you have a way to keep them in reserve or, um, to keep them relevant in the late game. Um, so, so like, for example, I, I always really loved Stern guard, uh, you know, it, ever since I first started, I was running like 10 Stern guard and just putting a bunch of poison shots in the thing. They're so cool, but they'd always die. Um, and then I, I slowly started to realize that like, if I, if I keep dropping them in turn one, they die, they die. I don't, I never get to use them to their maximum efficiency. Whereas if I drop them in turn two or turn three, you know, I, I could potentially put them in a scenario where there's less of my opponent's stuff on the board to kill them, um, where I can get multiple shots out of them. Uh, and that, that's another thing I think I think that you, you that's kind of experience to get with time. I don't think it's particularly codex relevant, um, but I can think of, you know, a bunch of different codexes, you know, off the top of my head where there's a specific unit that people say is bad. And just I think about that unit like in later turns. You know, like like if you can keep a storm surge alive on turn three, like if you could somehow manage to. Obviously, you can't. I don't. I don't think there's a way to keep storm surges off the board until turn three. Um, but basically, you know, you want to you want to use that leverage. And there's my daughter. She just ran into the room. Um, but basically, that's how you leverage bad units is is keeping them around later on. Yeah, I mean, one of the best things you can do with a unit is just have it occupy space. Um, I can't tell you how many times a unit has won me the game by just standing in the right place at the right time. So even like the, the unit with the worst stats in the world, if, if you can put it in the right position, it'll win you the game. Um, you have to look to find the utility in any unit, especially if you're going to put a self-imposed limitation of just using a single faction or codex. You got to look for ways that maybe are unconventional to make a unit uh, worthwhile if you're going to go down that road. Um, yeah, so, so, uh, I think, I think we're, we're talking a lot of general here. Um, and I know there's a lot of people listening who, who have specific lists, um, or specific factions that they play. Uh, so, so I'm just going to list some factions on uh, you guys. If you guys don't know anything about it, don't worry about it. Um, I have some opinions on some of these factions where, um, people perceive them as bad, but maybe a single faction or basically what, what do you guys, what do you guys think about these factions and what's like a, a, a list or threat tactic that you guys think people of those factions who play them can use to do better to go at least four and two at a tournament. Um, so the first faction is, is the biggest, the worst one is gray Knights. Uh, I know Reese mentioned gray Knights, uh, Jason was using gray Knights earlier, but in terms of a, uh, semi pure gray Knights list, uh, 
which you you don't see just performing really bad um do you guys think people are playing green knights incorrectly or do you think that there's something there well one of the things i would say that i think specifically solo codex lists fall into the trap of is a lot of solo codexes have their like all-star unit or two or three you know and then the people who are like, well, I'm going to run Solo Codex, they take that one concept or that one unit and they spam it as much as they possibly can. And that's, I think, part of the reason why a lot of times when people take single codexes, they actually really struggle. Because they kind of forget about a lot of the stuff we just talked about, which is like scouts are really good and how you use scouts is important and can be learned by using the same list or scouts for a lot of you know games as opposed to just the one tournament. Um, and then like HQ diversity is actually really important instead of just like, well, I'm... Astartes, so I'm taking three Smash Captains, right? That's what everyone talks about. It's like, well, yes and no. And they're going to get out there and they're going to do some damage, but then they die. So uh, when you say Grey Knights, I think it's it's just, by the way, there's no escaping it. Um, <laughs> they need help with Chapter Approved, and I think everyone can be pretty certain that they're going to get a lot of help in Chapter Approved. Um, that being said, I think a lot of the strengths of Grey Knights in particular is not necessarily um, whatchamacallits and baby carriages. What are they called? Dread Knights. Yeah, but what's their HQ guy? Grandmasters and Grandmaster in a Dread Knight, right? Like every single Grey Knight list is three of those, um, and then like as many strike squads as they can fit in there. And those are the those are the all star units of that list. But it ends up being like the same kind of thing where it's like you drop down, you either make your charge or you don't. You do some pretty effective shooting, but then any damage that comes your way at all, all those guys are picked up and dead. Um, and again, Grey Knights is the ultimate example because I, I'm not about to tell you the secret list that I've been cooking up that's going to turn Grey Knights into the best list ever. But um, I think it is important to spread that kind of stuff out and remain consistent to the concept that playing to the mission, having bodies out on objectives, not going all Alpha Strike and not spamming singular units in a codex um, is, is something you want to try to avoid. And again, some of the older codexes that are in a little bit more trouble... Um, the idea of playing single codex and then not spamming those units is really, really tough. Because uh, three Dread Knights are just pretty darn good. Um, and I'm not sure that you necessarily should take less. But it's just the, these are the kind of concepts you want to kind of approach, I guess, is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, that's actually... that's actually, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That's something that, that I've always kind of known a little bit about, but I've never actually put it to words. Um, but yeah, balanced lists with, with multiple different strengths and multiple different units that do... De- perform different roles i've actually seen perform better now especially in eighth edition um speaking to gray knights in particular if you're a gray knights player and you're listening to this um well, one thing off the top of the head that i that i keep coming back to is is don't underestimate the power of like a storm raven with a dreadnought in it right not not the best obviously you know you might be thinking like oh storm ravens they got one up in points dreadnoughts are bad like i get it but if you're if you're looking if you're a granite player and you're looking for something different, you know granites have a really hard time staying on the board and sticking on the board because uh, they're a bunch of power armor you know bodies that are pretty easy to kill. But if you put something on the board that's maybe really mobile that can that can reach out and kill the things that that can kill granites, and on top of that maybe drop like a dreadnought in their face, something slightly durable that that takes uh, at least like twenty to thirty percent of your opponent's firepower to kill. Um, which which a dreadnought can do. It's it's a T seven body with a good save and some multiple wounds. So you you know across the board like a Castellan can't kill like three dreadnoughts. A Castellan's going to you know kill one, or probably kill like two dreadnoughts. And if he's lucky, he's going to kill three dreadnoughts. It's actually very unlikely and very unlikely even with the House Raven strat that a Castellan will kill like three dreadnoughts. So obviously I, I I'm speaking these weird kind of off the wall scenarios and and I'm I know I'm I'm not right. I'm not saying that the Storm Raven and dreadnought are 
the the secret tech that Green Knight players need. Um, but it, it's that kind of mentality that you need when you look into your codex um, to kind of fit what Jeff was saying in in that you need to look at the other the other parts of your codex that your codex has to offer. Um, uh, staying on power armor because uh, Death Watch have been have been kind of awful for a long time. Kind of they've been awful for years. Uh, and and even though the Death Watch Codex came out and a lot of people praised it, they still haven't been doing well. So what do you guys think about Death Watch? And, and we can kind of roll this into Power Armor in general, but Death Watch in particular, um, that people can start running in Death Watch to really do well. I think the biggest mistake people make with Power Armored armies, and I think a lot of it stems from the fact that the models are awesome, uh, is uh, uh, too many toys, not enough boys, right? The old mantra that, um, you see people taking like too many bits and bobs and upgrades and all this stuff. Uh, the key power armored armies work is to really lean into their efficient units and then to decide in your mind, what is the role that each one of these units is going to play in my list? What is their purpose on the tabletop? And then giving them only the tools they need to perform that task specifically and nothing more. Uh, because the key with uh, power armored armies in my experience, especially in the current meta, is that you want as many units on the table as you can get because um, they're inherently tough. I know they do only have one wound. They're a little overpriced. But generally speaking, especially if you play well, if you maneuver your models well, uh, five space reigns is still going to kick the crap out of uh, five guardsmen, for example, or, or even ten in most instances if, you, uh, if you're playing, um, playing correctly and you're going on the offensive. So you just got to think about, uh, especially Death Watch is the key offender. I don't need every freaking upgrade because then now my unit's going to cost 200 points and it's five dudes uh, and they still die like a normal Marine. So you think to yourself, okay, well, you know, what, what do I need this unit to do? All right, I'm going to take 10 veterans with Storm, storm Bolters and Chainswords, which for my money is one of the best power armored units you can put on the table. Uh, okay, what do they do? They shoot really well. They have 40 shots with special issue ammo. Okay. They also have three attacks each in melee. Oh, that's pretty damn good. Uh, but they're still really squishy. Okay, I can deep strike them. Cool, now we're on to something. I can take three units of those for 200 points a pop to 600 points. And now I've got 120 shots when I drop down. I can reroll all hits. I can reroll, I believe they have the ability to reroll. Yeah, they can reroll wounds with their um, their special rule, uh, choosing the right uh, four sword slot. Mission tactic, thank you. Mission and now tactic. all of a sudden you have like a super ultra dick punch from reserves that will just obliterate most things they shoot at. And if you bring them in in waves, like you mentioned earlier, Pablo, uh, even though that you will take casualties, you can hit them so hard that if you position the rest of your army to, to mop them up, you can do really well. That was a list I was actually going to build. I just, I did not have the time to do it because on, on paper, if you play it well, um, and you've got the support characters to be where they are when they drop down, you will obliterate people with that, right? Like someone's got 80 Catachans or whatever, you'll kill all of them. Um, you know, whatever the case may be, someone's got the, the, the Zanger cultist bomb list. It's very popular. If you position your models correctly, you will obliterate them. You'll blow right through them. Uh, and it's looking for those combos to leverage that's going to give you the maximum mileage and then you know the other elements you want to add into your list is you want some melee you want some some mobility you want some board control you want some psycho defense or some way to mitigate that and if you put those pieces together 
you'll win games that on paper most people would not think that you would be able to. Yeah. It, and so so on on psychic lists that want psychic defense, melee, all shooting, all that stuff. Um, I, I want to. I kind of want to go to Tyranids now. Um, no, no, I'm not going to say that Tyranids aren't are a bad spot by any means because I actually think they're one of the better codexes still. Um, even though you know I, they've kind of gotten kind of been the victim of power creep just a little bit. Um, they kind of have kind of fallen by the wayside, so especially since the Hive Tyrant um, got brought down the Hive the Flyrant list. Um, but they're also they also I kind of see like a downward trend on Tyranids, right? Like you have Nick Rhodes's Nick Rhodes's list at the Nova, but I think you could probably argue that that's not a one hundred percent pure Tyranid list. And there's still like the lists that like uh, Jeff run and, and Colin Sherman run Tyranid lists that are still really good that you just don't see performing well. Um, so I guess this question goes to you, Jeff. W- what do you think? What do you think it takes? It's going to take for uh, Tyranid Codex Tyranids to compete consistently four and two and win events um well i think they absolutely can absolutely yes. uh i think they have some one of the best things about Terran is, is that even for being one of the older codexes they still have very strong units and abilities in all three of the phases the most you know they're good melee good shooting and good psychic um i feel like the only reason you could legitimately make an argument for them getting a little bit salty is that the diversity in lists for pure Terranids has gone down a little bit but to be fair, the list before that were like, you know, six or seven flyers. <laughs> that's not a lot of diversity either. Um, but I think Terranids right now, a basis of three flyers, half DACA, well, DACA with monstrous rending claws on each one, and then a unit of six hive guard, and then you have some of the best and cheapest infantry in the game in Ripper, Rippers. So you have like three units of three of that for one of the battalions. Uh, that basis right there is absolutely fantastic. It's a very durable, tough 7, 12-wound model with a 4-up invul that puts out a lot of hurt in the shooting, psychic, and assault phase. Um, the high guard unit shooting twice is some of the scariest shooting in the game. It's really underrated, actually, because it's actually still good against those Castellan lists, um, as long as you don't let the Smash Captain get on top of the high guard. So you just got to be very smart about insulating them. And then from there, you can have a lot of diversity. There's people that put a big block of gene stealers in there. They, You can go, like, lots of bodies with hormigons and termagons and just flood the field in that and let that be your fire base anyways. Biovores are still really good, especially in the current night meta. Um, just a unit of three biovores, move-blocking gallants right and left can actually just flat out be an easy win for you. Um, anytime you have a 300- or 400-point model that's doing nothing for, like, three, four, or five turns, you're, you're probably doing pretty good for yourself. Um, but I feel like a lot of Terran players go really swingy, where I'm still seeing lists that are like 12 Hive Guard, and it's like, that's going to do really well against certain lists, and it's going to do really poorly against anything that can get on top of those guys, right? Or like a couple bad shooting phases, or a table that doesn't have a lot of line of sight blocking. And I think that's that solo codex trap that people fall into, is that they're just like, this is a good unit, so my whole list is all about that single unit. And that's going to be a tough time. But Terranids have deep striking infantry. They have big globs of fearless infantry, which is one of the most powerful concepts in the game. They have a unit of hive guard that can shoot you while not looking and very accurately, especially if it's Kronos, but nobody seems to take that. Um, and then they have move blocking. They have psychic. They, they have everything there. So I would say three Florence, three Rippers, six hive guard. And then after that, it's whatever the heck you want to add into there for flavor. We're seeing Zoanthropes. Of course, Neurothropes are good. Lots of bodies are good. 20. Gene Sitter's running at the table. Swarmlord is still yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to echo that. I think Jeff made some great points, and I think Tyranids 
I think tunids are, are challenging to play well, but that they can compete at the highest level. Um, the, the biggest thing I've seen them struggle with is uh, shooting knights because they, they don't have a lot of invulnerable saves, but uh, the minus one to hit does help. And uh, one of the, the key strengths of Tyranids is board control. Um, like Jeff was saying, like one of the easiest ways to deal with a knight is just to not let it go anywhere by just move blocking it. Um, it it's super, super valuable. And I, I've still seen people compete extremely well, like at the ATC um, on the Chicago Kamikazes. There was a gentleman playing the uh, a really interesting Carnifex list where he had like 10 Carnifexes of different varieties, not just the DAC effects, not just the punch effects, but he had some with uh, two uh, like Heavy Venom or whatever the case, or a Heavy Venom Barb Strangler. And uh, he was crushing people. Um, I think like Jeff was saying, the key is that you want to take a good mix of units. Don't just go all in on one thing. You know, like you want a unit of Gene Sealers, you want a bunch of, of Gaunts for board control. You want uh, some some shooting units like Biovores shooting out Mortal Wounds is really valuable. They have great psychic uh, countering ability. Like you just you, you really just want to bring a, a, a Swiss Army knife, in my opinion, when you play Tyranids um, to compete well. Like in my Tyranid list, which Pablo you've played against, I take a Turvagon, which most people don't think is good at all, but I, to me, it's one of my most valuable units all the time. I love it, man. And Gilman it's like, hates that thing. I use the acid blood stratagem in, in combination with bringing uh, Termagons back on the table. And uh, it's great. I charge you and I'm like, yep, kill him. Please kill my Termagons. Oh, look, you took five mortal wounds back. You're dead. <laughs> you know, like, you, you just you look look for those little fun ways to make them, to make them viable. Um, and I play Jormungandr, like a totally different flavor than what most people do. And I've, I've seen others do it too. And it works really, really well. Um they, they definitely have the gas in the tank, in my opinion, to compete at any level. Okay. So, I'm just going to say Biovores are really good at blocking that gallons. I'm actually shocked that Biovores, people moved away from Biovores. Um, but especially now that a quarter of, according to the stats that Peter pulled, at a quarter of the knights at Nova were gallants, period. And there were a lot of knights at Nova. Um, you're definitely going to see gallants, especially like three knight gallants, like Alex Fennel's list. Um, so Biowars are great. Uh, now, I'm going to move on to a codex. You guys promise not to laugh at me. I, I, I swear I have a viable argument for why I think it's kind of underpowered. Um, and I think it's more underpowered not by by the codex itself, but by uh, the perception around the codex and, and its allies. And that's Craftworld Eldar. Uh, so you see a lot of Inari. Craftworld Eldar obviously has a lot of good tools. Uh, but one thing I'm consistently asked by people via email is how do I make Craftworld Eldar work without Inari, without Dark Reaper spam, without Harlequin Skyweavers, without Cabal the Blackheart, without all of the amazing tools that Eldar have. And I consistently tell people, like, you guys have great stuff. You guys have Spirit Seers. You guys have, you know, a lot of good psychic powers. You can do a lot of really tricky things. Um, yeah, uh, Sean Naden did really well with the Avatar at Adepticon. Uh, the, the bad Avatar, not the Inari broken one. Um, but... I, I don't. I unfortunately I don't have enough information on the Craft World Codex to to speak more than that. Um, but what what do uh, this? I guess this question is more directed at Reese. But what do Craft World Eldar have to compete at four and two consistently without running Inari? Uh, kind of like the the quote unquote net Eldar that you see. Well, I think you don't ask Reese, but you, I mean you already unleashed the box. He's going to talk about. Banshees oh my god! Okay, first of all, Jeff, <laughs> okay. get out of here. Second of all. Pablo, how dare you speak negatively <laughs> on my glorious avatar, whom I use in every game I play. Um, 
<laughs> so Craft World Eldar yeah. are stupid good, ridiculously good. Uh, I love them, and I play a lot of the quote-unquote bad units, and uh, I recently won our league here at Frontline Gaming, very competitive league, played, uh, you know, Frankie, I played, I think I played you, Pablo, that, that go-around. Um, I played the champion from the Orange County League who had a crazy Eldar Flyer army. Um, and, and I defeated them all, and I had a Bealtan Swordwind, a themed army. I took one of every aspect at a brigade, only um, Craft World Eldar, and I was playing Bealtan. And I've only lost a handful of games with them. Jeff did was one of the players that did beat me, although the game was really close, extremely salty, as they sometimes get when Jeff and I play. Um, but they have tremendous tools in their toolbox. Uh, it's ridiculous. And, and a lot of people get um, myopic uh, scope. Uh, they, 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 they don't open their mind to looking at the way the other units can be valuable. You don't just have to play an Air Force Army and just take Hemlocks and, and Crimson Hunters, or you don't just mm -hmm. take, you know, the Warlock uh, Farseer combo that we see in a lot of the top lists. Like I take uh, an all-foot list, I have um, Azurman, the Avatar. Uh, usually I take a Farseer. Sometimes I swap them out for a, an Autarch. And I take um, a ton of Dire Avengers. I have a unit of Fire Dragons, a unit of Swooping Hawks, um, uh, minimum unit of Shining Spears, uh, Warp Spiders, uh, Striking Scorpions. I take a full unit of Banshees, who Banshees are ridiculously useful. They don't hit very hard, but tactically they're so, so good. And... Um, you just have to utilize each unit's particular strengths, right? Like Eldar can come in from all over on the table. They can deep strike. They can outflank. That's stupid good. They're incredibly fast. They're really, really good in, in every phase of the game. They're good in melee. They're good in uh, movement. They're good in shooting. They're good at, at, at um, every every phase of the game. And they have all the tools that you need. You know, with, with Azurman, you can give all your Aspect Warriors a 5+, a, a five plus plus, or if it's your uh, Dire Avengers, it could be a 4+. Plus plus. The, uh, the Avatar makes you fearless, gives you a reroll charge aura. Howling Banshees can charge you from like 40 inches away. You can't overwatch them. It's just, it's crazy the tools you have in your toolbox. But you just, you really have to take the time to look at each unit and, and trying to run through in your mind, like, how would I make this unit valuable on the tabletop? Uh, for me, like Warp Spiders, which are a unit that are maligned, they, those guys win me the game all the time by simply waiting, dropping onto an objective, and being extremely difficult to kill. Um, you can give multiple minuses to hit. If they're in cover, they have a two-up save. Uh, you don't really have to worry about morale with any of them. Uh, they're just super, super useful, and they're good at harassing the backfield, like shooting little wimpy units, uh, and, and finding ways to make a unit useful like that, like not just looking at how, how much damage can they do, but asking yourself the question, how can they win me the game? It opens up a, a, a whole host of tactical options that the unit may not jump it may not scream at you from off the page when you when you look at it from a, a slightly different perspective and when you do that the eldar book is just overflowing with useful units yeah i, I agree with everything reese said but that is the more exotic answer like um the the thing about like eldar is just kind of like Terran, it's I feel like it almost auto-builds itself. Again, speaking very specifically to like wanting to go four and two at a tournament. Like if you just have a bunch of howling banshees, pretty darn good. It's not a bad thing to put into a list at all. But that single codex issue of like, no, my whole idea is forty banshees run at you, and I hope I win the game. It's like, yeah, that'll win some games, but it's going to lose some others. And you're just 
no matter how good you are, very often if you spam one unit that does one thing, um, even if it does it pretty well, there's just going to be bad matches out there. But like Eldar, you have the most powerful psych powers in the game. So that doesn't mean you run three Farseers and 15 Warlocks and five Spirit Seers. Uh, well, you can't. Three Spirit Seers. It just means that you have, you know, probably at least one Farseer in your list, if not two. Putting them on a bike makes them have six wounds. So against the Shieldbreaker missile strategy right now that's going around, it makes them very durable that way. They're also just faster and can move around, and you don't mind um, boosting them, obviously, to get them in position to do those powers that they don't need line of sight for, like Doom, uh, which is just amazing. One of the, Probably one of, if not the most powerful powers in the game. And then you keep a Farseer next to a unit of, like, you don't have to go full 10 Reapers, but a unit of 8, 9, 10 Reapers is never a bad thing. You can intercept stuff, so those Blood Angel Captains that are really calm right now, not a big deal. You can make them a two-up save by putting them in cover, and then you can make them, you know, minus one to hit with your chapter tactic and all kinds of other things you can do to make them fairly durable. Not the most durable in the world, but just not attractive to shoot at, right? And they have really good long range, so the things that can shoot at is usually a big, a big weapon of some sort or something that got close. Um, you have some of the best troops in the entire game with rangers. They just come with sniper. They are minus two to hit. Um, oftentimes, if you run a talk, which you probably should. Um, and if you don't run them, like Reese was saying, you can have some really durable 4++ infantry that can deep strike for Pete's sakes, and they shoot like pseudo-rending shots. It's just amazing. It's all kinds of tools in that way. Um, and then you have things like Howling Banshee, or not Howling Banshee, excuse me, uh, Swooping Hawks that are like some of the best units in the game too for what's going around right now. Like, oh, you got a bunch of infantry. Let me deep strike in and put a whole heck of a lot of very accurate shooting into, and you're probably picking them up. And then when you shoot back at those Swooping Hawks, that's not really an attractive thing to do because... They're fairly inexpensive, and they're not that important other than they're holding that objective while some big, more threatening stuff is coming at them. Yeah. Uh, and and um, I don't think, think Reese mentioned these, but, but Fire Prisms are really, really good. I actually, I, I've been playing my buddy Jordan a lot who, who brings two Fire Prisms, and I've been kind of like on a night fix, and Fire Prisms with the, the shoot against stratagem, or not shooting in the the, sh- the shooting where they're both fire prisms get to shoot from one fire prism and then they get to reroll basically everything is is insane. It, it's so it's so good. Like it, it normally when you see tanks like that 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 kind of like they need line of sight. Normally you can kind of get into a kill lane before them and, and kind of maybe beat them to their own punch or shoot them before they kill you or or uh, you, you know there's usually some counterplay there. But with fire prisms in particular. You, you know, you can use the Eldar strat to redeploy them if one of them is kind of out of position and you feel like your opponent can kill at turn one. Uh, you can deep strike one and hide another, and then fire the one fire the one that's hiding that can't see anything. Fire that one from the one that you deep strike. Uh, you can give them minus one to hit with that that amazing universal Eldar stratagem that that's that's super super awesome. The minus yeah, one I forgot, it's like landing reflexes or something. Yeah, and, and then with a talk, you can basically make the one fire after that your opponent can see and shoot super hard to kill. And then, meanwhile, you know, these two fire prisms can, can do all the work that you need that out of your anti-tank units. They can kill a Castellan or, or neuter Castellan pretty easily. Uh, they, you know, they can kill other knights, they can kill flyers, you know, pretty much whatever you need them to kill, especially with the Eldar buffs. Um, so I would actually, if you were going to go craft world and go balance like Jeff and Reese are suggesting, I would definitely put some sort of either the two fire prisms or I would put like crisscrossing crimson hunters that just kind of 
hide out in your backfield or, or not hide out, but kind of crisscross in your backfield, shooting the things you need them to. And then they can also turn three, turn four, go out and snipe characters, which is what I see a lot of people using them for anyways. Yeah. I mean, you have so many, so many good options in that book. Um, to, to your point, Pablo, like uh, using some of the tricksy stuff that they have is very Eldari. And that's definitely the way you want to go. And to Jeff's point, um, I, I bring one unit of like nine to 10 Howling Banshees, but I definitely would not bring 40 because you're going to get diminishing returns. And it's sometimes you do have to make compromises if you want to play the fa- like the mono faction. Um, and it's, it's really looking for what each list or each unit does in your list and then playing well enough to make them do the thing you want them to do, um, which is easier said than done, of course, and that's where practice comes in. But if you can do that, you, you, you can pull a rabbit out of your hat and win some really fun and exciting games. And then you don't have to just do what everybody else is doing by, by playing a lay talk with, you know, the, the combos that everybody's so familiar with. Like, I've done really well with Bealtan, and I've also done really well with the Yandin, too. Um, and I'm not the greatest player in the world. It's just, just, it's just going out and trying, giving it a shot. You'd be surprised what you, what you can do uh, by just putting the models on the table and giving it a go. Right on. All right, final codex. And and I, I'm sorry, guys, we're not going to go over every single codex. I just kind of picked codexes that I knew recent Jeff could had a lot of opinions on and could talk about, and also um, the kind of the codexes that that people have been talking the most about. Um, so the final codex is uh, the Custodes Codex. Um, the The story of the Custodes Codex has always been kind of funny, right? So when it first came out, Virtus Predators on jet bikes and Shield Captain on jet bikes were were all stars, and they have kind of fallen out of favor, but they still are probably the most powerful unit. They are the most powerful unit in that codex. Um, but the Custodes Codex has kind of fallen out of favor, and it, it's it's really funny to me because. I see that codex and I see a powerful top tier one codex that I just, I don't, I don't know if people are, are, are excited about these shiny new Castellan models or, or maybe blood angel smash captains are all of a sudden, you, you know, the, the bees knees and people just run them instead of whatever the custodes have to offer. But I actually feel like, like a pure custodes list is still super viable and can win tournaments. I just don't see people bringing them for some reason, which is it's really strange to me, but Jeff, am, am I wrong? Am I crazy? Or is there something there? Uh, no, I think they're absolutely fantastic. Um, I think Nova's a good example, and we're, we're going to get a little bit away from the pure Custodes um, self, <laughs> like a challenge, I suppose. But we had one list that had 17 Virtus Praetors and a Shield Captain on a bike, and then the absolute minimum, I believe, maybe a couple points spent on like a Power Sword of a Guard Detachment, and then the Banner Guy, and that was the entire list. And that one went to the top bracket and did pretty well for itself, finishing in the top 16 of a very, very big tournament like that. And then Reese had experience playing against a guy who had a beautifully painted Custodes list that was extremely eccentric. It had five Assassins. It did have the Guard, so that's where people will look at that and be like, well, that's, gosh darn it, that's about 400 points of non-Custodes. It is. But then he took 1,600 points or so of... Uh, shield Captain on foot, Shield Captain on bike, Shield Captain in Terminator armor, four Terminators, two banners, uh, three units of three Custody Guard. Each one had one guy with a shield and the sword. Like, it was an extremely eccentric list, and while he did shore up the weaknesses of the Codex by having more bodies for the Guard and more command points, and then, of course, having the Assassins, which score so well, um, most of the, I mean, all of the heavy lifting, for the most part, was done by the Custodes part of that, 
It was it was by units that people didn't think could do it. Um, walking custodies. He actually had no Virtus Praetors except for the the single shield captain on a bike. Um, and that's absolutely amazing. The only reason I can think of for why people have fallen out of favor with him, I guess, is because they're still a fairly difficult list. Um, and that's not to say bad at all. It just means you have to play a lot of practice because what they do, they do really well. And then what they don't do very well um, takes a lot of experience on how to deal with it. Like a lot of people always message me and say, how does a custody player kill knights? I always kind of laugh because there's not any secret. They kill knights by hitting it with the pointy end of their spears and... You just have to know like when you do it, how you do it, how many bodies to put into it. Um, one of my biggest mistakes, and the reason I lost to Dawn, in my opinion, the final table at BAO, was because I didn't um, take the extra care to move, uh, to surround the knight up against the terrain with my four Virtus Praetor bikes. Because I actually survived the close combat against him, but because I didn't kill him, he just simply walked out of that and then shot the crap out of me, and that was a big deal. But if I would have blocked him with the bikes, which you can't step over... I might have won that game, which would mean I, you know, would have won BAO. So, custodians have what it takes to do all that. It just there's a lot of little tricks that they do, and they have some of the most amazing, sneaky stratagems like tangle foot grenade. Um, they're interrupt for one command point on an objective. They have exploding sixes against uh, heretic astartes, and then it can go up to I believe it's four or five. I've never gotten to do it against black legion. They have a lot of really cool stuff, but if you only play the codex a little bit and then you go on to the next shiny thing, you're not going to do very well with them because the shock and awe of, you know, 14-plus Virtus Praetor bikes has kind of come and gone. It'll still kill the crap out of people, but it just doesn't score very well. But the more practice you have with it, the better you can do with that. Now, do you... And I feel like I feel like I already know the answer to this, but maybe maybe you'd give me some more insight because you are more tuned into the Forge World units than I am. Um, mm. do, are any of the Forge World Custodes units, are any of those viable that you might see on the tabletop that that are hidden gems, or are they just all... Or I don't even know if they're legal yet. I don't even know if they have... If they're experimental rules or not. Yeah, they're called beta, which is in a weird spot in 8th edition, because we're not... You know, in 7th edition, we had a pretty clear understanding of what that meant. Mm -hmm. In 8th edition, it's pretty generally understood that you probably should not take beta units like that. Okay. Which, by the way, I think these are the only beta units um, in all of 40k right now. I think everything else <laughs> that gets released is actually legal. Um, but for the most part, no. They're not playable... Uh, their rules are pretty darn good, and then they gave one note when they released them and said, hey, uh, give us feedback on, on how you think these perform, and we'll edit it in for the final you know book that comes out eventually, which they've announced all things 30k are coming to 40k uh, custodies, which is really, really nice. They're pretty cool. They're dreadnoughts. They have Deep Strike, which is amazing. Um, the big shooty one has some really strong firepower. The, the problem with custodies, and the reason why they're so commonly paired with Guard, is because... My list has 21 custody bodies in it, and that's like the most you'll ever see. Um, anything more, you know, more than that is awesome, but probably doesn't have very many command points. Anything less than that means that you took some big units, like maybe a land raider. Although I've almost seen none of those on the table for custodies. And then if you take the dreadnoughts, those guys are all like 354 points as it currently stands in the beta rules, um, which means they're pretty good. But they take a an issue that the custodies have and they exacerbate that. Okay. Interesting. Do so you think Custodes might benefit from like a scout unit, or like like a a lightly armored Custodes troop choice? Basically, like the a Space Marine Scout squad. Maybe they can't infiltrate exactly like scouts. Um, do you think something like that might help them, or do you think that they're just fine and and they're always going to ally guard? 
I think they're pretty darn good. Their only issue is that building two battalions with custodies is is virtually impossible. It's really really hard. Like that would be your entire list. Um, the minimum for your for your spear guys, three units of three, is four hundred and sixty eight points, mm. and that's without spending any points on them. So literally, you know, two battalions is already almost a thousand points, and that's just the troop choices. With the HQs, it's in the ballpark of fourteen hundred points. Um, so then you have 600 points to build, like, one Praetor unit or one Alaris Terminator armor unit. And that's cool. That is, um, that is like, 27 custody bodies and 10, 13 command points, which is not bad. You don't necessarily need more than that. So that can do it. Um, it's just one of those things where, again, you have one bad matchup or a guy alpha strikes you and you lose a few too many bodies. And you're like, well, that's tough. Uh, but you could do it with that. So one of the, the hopes and the glimmers, and this is getting a little bit away from the topic, but... It's fun because you asked me about custodies. Um, they have a 30k unit that is custodian guard guys with just a gun. My hope would be that they're more inexpensive. Not necessarily with infiltrate, but of course with infiltrate that'd be great. Um, and then have them as basic troop choices. Because if you had a cheaper troop choice, and maybe it could fill, fulfill some of the roles like attack marines or scouts, um, then you start to have more possibilities to open up and, and uh, have a big hammer unit while also having a lot of custodian bodies. Right on. Yeah. Um, All right, Reese, do you have anything to add to, to that? I just wanted to throw in a quick uh, comment. The gentleman I played who, who defeated me with his really, really eclectic um, Adeptus Custodes army had no guard guardsmen. He just had the company commander, like an astropath, and a uh, psyker. Like he, his, oh, he had right, like yeah. 20 models or something in his army. Um yeah, Supreme Command Detachment. It was Supreme Arm, Command Detachment. And um, he had yeah. three unit. Like one of the things that I found at playing because I, I played Adeptus Custodes a bit at the LGT. I took them with guard and did quite well. I went undefeated. But um, their troops are so much better than people give them credit for. Um, their, their troops are awesome, and like Jeff was using them at the BAO, uh, they are so durable for taking objectives. It's like good luck killing those guys. One of the reasons I think Jeff lost that game is because he exposed yeah. them and the Helverins roll red hot. Jeff didn't. And they, he popped them like Don was able to kill him. And that left Jeff struggling to score objectives. Uh, and Jeff, feel free to correct me, but yeah. And that, that was what I felt. That was the tipping point is that no, Don right, yeah. shot them. He saw what they did in his list and he took them out, which I don't think most people would. And from playing against them and playing with them, when those guys take an objective, that objective is yours. Unless your opponent puts a lot of attention at taking them out. Um, they are super good at taking those, taking and holding those points. And if anybody comes near them, they'll beat the crap out of them or shoot them to bits. So I was really impressed with how good their troops are. Um, and then the, some of the other units, which I'd never really played against outside of playtesting, like the Terminators or the Lord and Terminator, I'm like, holy crap. Those guys are seriously powerful, and you just deep he deep struck them right in front of me, right? And I was like, it still took like every asset I had to take out one unit of Terminators <laughs> with minus one to hit banner and everything. I was like, whoa, they're they're tough. They're way tougher than you would expect. And currently, the number one player in the ITC, first time ever, it's a British player. He plays Adeptus Custodes. Um, he won the LGT, just won another event. No. He, he was he playing him. He okay, play me pardon me. Thank you for oh, the correction. Well. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he went to the LGT, one of the, the second biggest event in the world, and smashed everybody. He got a perfect battle score. 
and I think he did have the little guard CP battalion, but his army was predominantly uh, custode. So I think they can totally, totally do it. I think even without guard, you can do it. Like I said, you take that battalion of, um, of, of using their troops to get some CP, and man, those guys are so much better than people think they are. Uh, the only downside I could see is if you were using pure custodes is that you would definitely be struggling with CP because um, custodes are CP hungry. They want a lot and you, you would definitely have to play very, very intelligently to get the most out of each strat. Yeah. All right. Well, that that's really good insight. Uh, so, so I think we're definitely going to cut it off here, guys. Um, well, I do have one PSA uh, that I want to say to you, the, to the listeners, um, and that is I think that with this big fall FAQ that's coming out, just like last year, uh, GW did put out an FAQ and they, they switched the meta around last year. I think this year it's going to be very similar with between a combination of the September fall FAQ and chapter approved um, so that the LVO is going to be the LVO meta is going to be not unrecognizable, but a lot different than what the Nova meta was. Um, and I think with that, you'll see a lot more players start to shift away from the or the good, the the best players, the the players who actually bring these netlists to win. Um, because you do see a lot of a lot of top players bring netlists. Like if you look at if you look at like Tony Grappando and Andrew Gagno, Andrew Gagno went from running kind of weird lists like what he brought to Adepticon with the aggressors, and uh, at ETC what he brought at ETC. Andrew Gagno went to the, the best list, the Castellan list. Same thing with Tony Grappando. Tony Grappando um, had previously, you know, in the past year, the 8th edition, he hadn't, he was a really good player, but he didn't have a lot of large tournament wins to his name. Um, but lo and behold, he took the, the Castellan list each seat, did remarkably well with it because he's Grappando. He also brought the best list. And, and then I think his his um, Nova performance speaks for itself. Um, so I think as, as you see more and more of these top players uh, move away from the list, the the net lists as they get nerfed. I think we're gonna see a lot of really exciting, cool stuff. Like I think, y- y- you know, like for example, orcs coming up. Um, I've heard a lot of good things about orcs, like hype. Um, obviously I haven't heard anything specifically, but I've heard a lot of hype coming from uh, Reese and Jeff. Um, about how good orcs are. Um, you know, something Reese has has said on signals before. Um, and then I think about a player like Ben Moley, who who loves orcs, who's who's still been trying to break into that top player. Like, like we know Ben is. Ben's a really good player. <laughs> if you give Ben, like, an orc codex, a really good orc codex, you might start to see players like him and all the other amazing orc players, you know, start to do really well. So you might start to see orcs as a single codex faction do really well. This is just a prediction. Um, so, you know, keep your hopes up. I, I think I, I'm really excited to see what GW does uh, now that they've had a, a full year of 8th edition under their belt um, to start balancing the game and pushing it in a, a direction we all love. Uh, and finally, if you look at the four and two players um, at any large events, uh, you actually do see still see a lot of variety of lists and a lot of really weird, wonky lists that you wouldn't expect to see normally. Um, and these players are all performing really well. So if you ever take the time, subscribe to the BCP app, look at some of the larger events, and then look at some of those players who went four and one if there's a five round tournament, or four and two if it's a six round tournament. And I think you'll be surprised, pleasantly surprised by the the variety and uniqueness of the list you'll see. Uh, so that's it. Um, Reese and Jeff, thank you guys very much for coming on. Is there any final things you guys want to add to this? Thank you for having us, buddy. It's uh, it's good to be on the show and not Reece. just being made fun of on the show by everybody else. But uh, no, it's all in good fun and I don't mind at all. I, I laugh wow. at the jokes myself. But um, 
I, I think this was a great episode. This was definitely the right one to bring me on. And I hope anybody out there that listened to it is encouraged to go out there, uh, try out their own ideas, to have uh, faith in their own ideas, to believe in it. And who knows, you may go out there and be the next person to, to break the meta. And then all of a sudden you go from being a crazy person that no one understands what you're doing to being a genius. And that is, in my opinion, a lot cooler than winning with the netlist. All right, Jeff. Um, no, I just like the discussion. I, I just would always want to reiterate that I think it's silly if anyone thinks that having allies is like not an advantage. Of course it is. But that doesn't mean you can't be successful. It doesn't mean you can't have fun. And that doesn't mean you can't run cool lists. I just want to really, I think some of the things that gets away from people is play the same list a lot of times. Um, spread out what you're doing with the list. Don't make it just like, oh, I come in turn two and I shoot the crap out of you. And if I do it good, maybe I win. Like that's, that's usually not going to take you too terribly far. Um, it can, of course, but I don't. I just think it, it's just not a great way to go about it. Um, so just try and spread it out, like we talked about. Use the strengths of the codex. Practice it a whole bunch, and feel free to ask people and email Pablo 10, 20, 30 times a day if you, <laughs> if you really want to. He's got you know almost nothing else to do but answer emails and just hang out with you and tell you how to play Warhammer. So just I encourage you to do that. Just uh, fair warning. Hanging out with PD Pop does not equal wins, so don't don't expect wins there. Well, it's wins for the other guy, I guess, right? That's true. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Uh, anyways, yeah. uh, on that note, you can email me. Uh, you can email me frontline gaming at gmail.com. That's frontline gaming p e t e y p a b. My name is not Peter. My name is actually Pablo, by the ways. Um, for for the foreign people who have been calling me Peter lately, I might have just said Peter by accident. Um, but my name is Pablo, um, and my well, nickname Pablo's is... Pablo's Spanish for Peter, isn't it? Uh, Pablo's yeah, Spanish for people Paul, actually which is Latin for think tiny. my name is Recius in real life, oh, too. I get that all the time. Yes, indeed. It's clearly Recius piece. <laughs> so if you guys want to email me, I, I'm always open to answering any questions about the ITC, any rules questions, any questions on your lists. Uh if you have any questions about tournaments, outreach, if you're looking for games in your area, or if you want to know if there's any big tournaments in your area, I get all of those questions, guys. I love answering all of them. I love growing the community, and I love hearing from you guys. So email me. Uh, and also, if you ever want to email Frontline Gaming, we have a good old little email you know, questionnaire thing if you ever any, have any ITC questions. And oh, I, love, yes. I know there's Reese loves getting I those. enjoy um, than getting so. 80 bazillion email questions. <laughs> Often about rules that I'm like, if you just opened your yeah, book, specific... you would have the answer right there. Yeah. So, so for any ITC specific rules questions or or rules questions in general, go to that. Don't message me. So go go to that message on frontlinegaming.org. And while you're there, pick up some terrain, pick up some uh, mats, some secondhand products. Whatever, whatever you want, go there. Uh, also, I'd like to thank uh, sponsors, bro- blah, 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 Broken Egg Games uh, for their cool 40K templates and tournament accessories. And then finally, we have a new sponsor for this show, uh, Rum Runner Wargame, Rum, Rum, Rum Runner Wargame Conversions. Uh, we've got, he's got, uh, that's a buddy of ours, Derek. Um, he is, he is. He's uh, already, he's told me that he is willing to make display boards for people who come to him. Um, so 
gave me a little deal, and he's the sponsor for the event. So if you need a display board done, uh, Derek's done an amazing job with display boards. And, and to be honest, it's very hard to find people who are willing to do display boards for you guys. These are top quality, high level display boards um, that a lot of paint studios simply don't do, or a lot of people you know just don't have time for. They're also very hard to ship, so Derek is willing to do that. So check out Rum Runner Wargame. War game painting and conversions for a display board if you want if you need one for your tournament, and that's it. All right, guys, thank you very much for listening and have a good one.